for like who are the directors directing videos of bands that are outside of my reach but i can totally get there i can see up i can draw a line that has like this success this success and maybe a half more success and i'll be able to be in that place i can gun for that you know and there's actually a chance i might make it because i'm it's a reasonable goal and it's according to Vygotsky, is currently out of reach for me but i i could i can get there and that's sort of how i operate Hello and welcome to You Can Do It, Do It, a podcast about people whose lives have been transformed by trying something new. Today, we're joined by Rich Ferry, a videographer, director, and teacher in Rhode Island. Uh, My name is Rich Ferry. I've been in Rhode Island my whole life. In 2016, I went freelance into filmmaking, and I spent my time kind of split between being an event videographer and commercial director, director of photography, DP on film productions, and I shoot weddings. What prompted the jump from going, maybe working for someone else and then jumping into freelance work? I suppose I had to go back a bit. So I've been a musician my whole life and that's sort of been like a through line through professionalism and my school and careers and all that kind of stuff. Like I've always kind of kept music and music recording, which turned into like producing as a, this thing that I did. And it was always very clear in my mind that that was a hobby and that would never be my work. And it was always clear in my mind. I kind of followed this rule that sort of said that this thing that you invest your time in and you're learning into and um, this thing that you use to like later serve other artists, I would produce and record, um, though it was technical um, and though there were people in the world that made an income doing it, that that couldn't be my professional life. And I don't know where that absolute delineation came from, but it was... It was something I kind of followed and no one, no adult or like mentor ever came in and said, Hey, can we push against that? And, and, and ask if that's actually vetted and is that even true? So that was sort of just a thing that consistently uh, lived in my life. I was always in that world. And so like my path went like, um, I have a degree in math and then I was in grad school for applied math and like going like electrical engineering signal processing route. And during grad school, I ended up uh, getting really close with one of my professors who was in the education department. And he was like, hey, um, the city of Central Falls had sort of imploded on itself and the school system had been dissolved. And URI, which is the school I was at, swooped in. And my professor was one of the people that was responsible for creating like an interim government of school. Um, And particularly the debacle happened in in the spring. And so they had summer school that needed to be filled right away. So I joined in Central Falls with this like gaggle of young college kids uh, teaching math summer school and fell in love with urban education and did two years in Central Falls before I was um, asked to go work as a math teacher at the Met School in Providence. And I was at the Met School for three months before they asked me if I would swing down to the Newport campus to take on a role as an advisor for an all arts program at a satellite campus that they had rented in the Jamestown Art Center. And so for four years, uh, me and 16 students spent every day of the week together um, from like their freshman to their senior year, creating this like little artist commune. And my role was to advise them, counsel them, befriend them, and sometimes like parent and sometimes sibling them. 
And technically my role was to like oversee their projects and their internships in the community. So for four years, my job was to meet as many artists and creatives in Rhode Island on behalf of my students and then show my students that people can make a living doing their creative thing. And I had to prove that to them by helping them find apprentices and internships and then convince these people that they wanted to have a highly functioning 10th grader in their house <laughs> doing like wow sculpture or filmmaking or whatever. And I would every day get in my car and drive around the state and go into people's apartments where like an artist and one of my students was, and I would like oversee it and take photos and document it. And for four years, my job was to tell young people, see all these people doing their thing they love. Mm. That doesn't seem like a very like college track, traditional career. It's a real job. These people are doing it. You can do it. Yeah. And then by the time the four years was over like that, the irony became yeah. pretty obvious. <laughs> it's dripping. <laughs> the group that I was, that I started with, um, they all graduated in June of 2016. And so when they graduated, I graduated as well from the Met and I entered freelance. So that's like, it's, um, it's very related and like each step feeds the next step. Like I don't feel a lot of agency in that story. Mm. Like life has really, um, just made that sort of happen. I didn't get, I didn't ask to work at Central Falls. Like someone I trusted asked me to work there. And while I was mm. in Central Falls, someone I trusted asked me to apply at the Met and I was asked to go be the arts advisor. So the only time I've ever made a conscious decision in my life really that I can even recall was 2016 when my students graduated. And it even took like two of the kids I was the closest with being like, you should go. <laughs> wow. Fly. <laughs> and, uh, and it was awesome. And it was really great to hear from these kids who like, they're some of my closest friends now. They're people that I create stuff with now because they're yeah. all adults and we can finally like exist in the same community now. And mm. yeah, I think it actually was taking photos of my students at their internships is the actual short answer to your question. Yeah. I was taking a lot of pictures of them in like really interesting light and like interesting because it's all the these like Nicholson file building in Providence and like a lot of like cool shipyards in Newport and like these grungy old artists that have these little very lived in studios in hidden in basements and apartments all over Rhode Island was like where I first started taking photos. And then on our time together during the school day, I had a bunch of students that were, you know, going to be animators and 3d designers and, and then photographers and filmmakers and stuff. So when we had downtime, you know, I, I would often hang with the musicians and we mm -hmm. would co-write songs together. And that was like really where I thought, but I found myself like really drawn to like connect with the photo video kids. And yeah, we ended up pushing each other a lot and like yeah. truly like in a very healthy competition, um, which is crazy. It was a very reciprocal school model where like not in a corny or tropey way, like truly learning from your students and, you know, and they were watching me learn as, as much as I was teaching them stuff. So it happened pretty organically. So the only role you played was just making the choice to do each piece because you could have said no right along the way and been yeah. like, yeah, I guess, meh, you know what? That was fun, but I'm out. Sure. So the choice that I've made throughout my life is I, I definitely choose to trust people. That's always been true for me. If somebody stops their life and says, Hey, I think that you should know this person, you would get along or, or says, I think that you should apply for this thing. I generally trust that they know better than I do. Because like, if you think about applying for a job or trying to find like your niche in a community, 
you are one person with one experience making a judgment from that one perspective. But if you live your life in a certain way and allow people to sort of see what you're good at and what you're not good at and how you function in a group and what your skills are, and then like the sum of everyone you've ever met stumbles upon a role and they're like, who would be the best person I've ever met to fill this role? And they tell you, that actually seems to be a better vetted role for you than what you would do on your own. And I also believe that in general, people are uh, air towards good. And so like I generally people recommend things to me. I, I don't, there's, there's no reason to doubt that that isn't like, oh, that they're not thinking like, you know, good and trying to do good. So that is that that that's the choice that I've made along the way. So it's not that I have had no agency, but it's just the idea that um, I've I've I haven't had inside of me that voice that says like this is my end goal, and I've been singularly focused since I was a kid. I, I don't have that. I just I do trust the process at this point that mm-hmm. there are that people will take care of you, and it, it continues to happen. Wild. I don't think we've heard that yet from anybody that we've ever talked to. Right? Like it's it's singularly unique. So basically have no doubt that what other people who know you and know the thing like that this this is worth exploring and this is a path that i should check out yeah like that's that's a pretty unique perspective like do you realize that yeah i mean i also think that that is part of the reason why no one flagged me along the way and Mm -hmm. said you should be an audio engineer huh you know I, i there's a potential that i was like lost in a large school system or like I was, I was a kind of an honors academic track kid. And so there's a potential that that was maybe adults in my life were like not encouraging it because they're like, oh, you should go do something that's a little bit more traditional. Like you have the grades and you could be allowed into that club. You should. Maybe yeah. they were just quietly not encouraging it. Or maybe I wasn't loud about my desires. Like maybe I've always been like this. So I'm not positive. Yeah. I actually can't know. Uh, I can't. Yeah tell which one it is and there was definitely a point in my i'm 31 right now and there was a point in my early 20s um where i felt the opposite about this i felt almost tricked i said like wait who is driving this like (laughs) when was the last time i made a choice um and I, i felt like i had yeah somehow been duped into my life and so and that's when times aren't good right when when things aren't going great you, you look back and you say like, well, what choices did I make to get here? And that was when I was like, very few, mm-hmm. very few choices were, were made out of thin air. I'm almost always just following like kind of the previous iteration has always informed the next thing and forever. And so I've ended up in a very weird place. It's so different from where things would be because I'm not influencing much of the twists and turns of the journey. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it continues to happen, by the way. I mean, since going freelance, all of what I told you is still going on. So it's getting weirder. Yeah, I, but that's I think that's part of the the work in the freelance journey when it's working is, you know, you you bring something good into the world. You make a good thing that pr- produces value for somebody else. And then that spreads, right? Like they recognize that it was good. They tell other people about it. They tell other people about you. They say, Rich is amazing. He worked for us on these projects, yada, yada, yada. You get calls from other people. And I'm I'm sure that when it's going well for a freelancer, you're probably turning down more work than you're actually able to say yes to. And there's something, I don't know, there's like something in that where like people want to get to know you and have you do their projects. And, right. you know, it's just a matter of like, okay, now 
now which one do I choose? I mean, it's a network effect. It's it's having an impact on people, and because of that, they give you recommendations, and you trust that person, but you have a relationship with them too. I think if you didn't find joy and love the things you've done along the way, you also still wouldn't have gone. With, I mean, none of this is to yeah. is to try to argue your point. Like I totally, <laughs> it, I think it's super interesting, and I, I totally see what you're saying, but you have played a part in it as well. But I, I do like the fact that you almost take the opposite role that some people do, which is some people are like, I made this happen. You know, like I'm I'm here because of me and they forget about the thousand steps and people that put them there. Like everybody is built up by everyone else around them. Like if you're successful, it is because, it is almost always because of the people around you. So it's really cool that you take like the opposite approach is like, I didn't get myself here. Like everybody else got me yeah, here. Yeah. Um, to the extent that you almost pull yourself uh an important part of yourself out of that role and in that process but to no detriment really just i think if you didn't love it and you didn't put your heart into these things these people would not have recommended you so you're putting your heart into things so yeah. you, you mentioned before you do commercial videography and, and commercial work and and weddings right which are also you know partially commercial most artists they don't want to get into that kind of work right mm. what what made that actually fit for you? I hear you're from any references. I hear like rich is amazing. And any artists are like, I, he decided to do commercial work. <laughs> like what, what, what happened there? Like why give up the art to do commercial work? Well, I didn't give up anything. I mean, I think that's the theme, right? I didn't have, there is no, there's no goal. I'm just floating. Yeah. You know? And I don't know. Uh, let me, let me get to your question, but I'll, I'll just say like, for f like a good five years of my life, I was, my role was to sort of be a steward for people who are trying to like launch, mm. whatever that is. And that could just be like, I really want to draw great anime mm. <laughs> or I want to start an organic soap business yeah, or I want to be a great filmmaker. <laughs> but my job was to like understand what they're talking about, believe that it's possible and then get stoked on them as a person. The advice that I've given people and the, and the advice that I live by is that the world has a way of notifying you if you're going against the natural order of things or if you're just right where you belong. The life and people have a way of, in, in my case, overtly stating, I, I think you should do this or apply for this job. And then in a lot of more subtle ways. So the simplest way I can explain this to you is, I haven't put out an album since 2013 and approximately zero people have asked me if one's coming. Uh, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> interesting. Right. Just yeah. interesting. Yeah. I do turn down work video all the time. Yeah. I have, I have no one asking me about my, my music. <laughs> so that's what I mean. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm not saying that I was potentially not, I mean that there was nothing of value in the music. But I'm just saying that that if I, when I when I held on to that as my singular identity, that I was going to be a musician, I was also going to be the musician, a front man, and, and a person who's thought of, whatever yeah. that means. Maybe even like revered. I think that would be the goal is to be like the musicians I look up to. That was not aligned with like the universe's plan for me, mm -hmm. and and it was a fight the entire way, and it was an identity crisis the entire way, and it was wrought with like pretty unwholesome feelings mm -hmm. and unwholesome behavior of like trying to be or trying to convince other people to believe that I am something or I am a certain way 
And then the opposite happened when I started making visual art, which was a lot more um, spontaneous um, and had absolutely no intention. There was no artist vision. So to your point, I began because I was like interested in taking photos and then I immediately loved gear. Mm. And so I was like, oh, I'm interested in taking photos better because I like gear and I like to learn technical things. And really quickly, I was in the studio with bands and bands were wanting less and less to record full records. And people wanted to do, you know, YouTube was finally viable. We could actually stream. And so bands stopped wanting full albums and wanted live in studio sessions. And so it was like a utility. I was just like, oh, shoot video because bands want that. And I, that way I can still keep making music. And so I just learned as a utility to serve another goal, how to make video. Then the world was like, oh, that was sick what you made. Could you do one for us? And like that was the first fork in the road where like one of the things that I was really pushing on, the world was not asking for more of. And something that I did that was not necessarily aligned with my like life goals. Somebody said I'd like more of that. And so I did more video and learned a little bit more about video just to like elevate the production value from wherever it was to one iteration above it. And people were like, I want more of that forever until I was able to leave my job and do filmmaking freelance. But it's, it's been as, it has been as aimless and iterative as that. An incredibly weird story. You know, like the guy that was, my friend Jarrett Blinkhorn, who was the one that shot all the videos of me and when I was doing music of my band and all of my music videos, was shooting weddings. And he had come across this client that he fell in love with. They were just like a dream wedding client. And then it turned out that he couldn't shoot the wedding. And he was like, you should you should shoot weddings and shoot their wedding. Like, it's good money. And like, I can just, you can oh borrow my, my camera. Um, but like, they're awesome. You should shoot their wedding. Mm. And I was like, you see this? You should. <laughs> I had second, I had, I had assisted him once or twice because I had a, a small DSLR for yeah. these photos. And I, and he was like, you'll be fine. Just do something, you know? And so I, my wife was a maid of honor in two weddings between the date that I was asked and the date of their wedding. And so I, I had nothing to do at two weddings. So I borrowed a bunch of 70s and shot these wedding videos with zero stakes wow. and gifted them to the couples. And then my wedding business was born. Yeah. And, you know, so it's been like that. It's been really interesting. The whole, the whole trip has been like this. Yeah. And so what happened was by around that time of my life, I started to realize, and this is why I give the advice to young people with confidence. Like the world speaks to you. It tells you, it gives you signs that say, hey, you're on the right track or you're not on the right track. So when I started developing my, you know, I have, I have a, um, at this point, I actually do have like a visual style. And like when I'm on a film set or on a film crew, I am... Like I work for a production company in Providence called Steer and like they bring me on as a director of photography, just referred to as a DP. They'll bring me on for a certain aesthetic or a certain look. But that's only a look that I've refined based on quantifiable things like Instagram likes mm -hmm. and less quantifiable things by just like comments that people have made over the course of a few years about as I take photos and do video, what I get feedback on that people seem to attach to, the things that make people get excited. Versus the things that make me excited, which are almost always the things that don't make other people excited. Mm. Just for some reason, my intuition brings me down the music route. Oh. I end up doing things that some of the world doesn't seem to care about. And so it, just at this point in my life, just like letting go of that and just making stuff more freely and more haphazardly yeah. and like letting feedback be like, your life will be much more pleasant and it will be feel much less like you're forcing people to give you a chance and to give you a chance. If you just go with the current 
mm-hmm. of the feedback that you get and just delve into that style more. And and it's led me to not only like happiness, but it's also led me to like fulfilling art. So it hasn't just been like you give up your dreams and you make the thing, but it's actually been like, I just make stuff, whatever draws me, mm-hmm. but I keep making stuff that people like. Mm-hmm. So like once I get signs that like, I'll make lots of things that make me happy, but if something attaches to somebody, I'll just lean into that a little harder. This week's episode of You Can Do It, Do It is sponsored by Leo LaBelle, who owns Dash Bicycle on Broadway in Providence, Rhode Island. If you would like to sponsor You Can Do It, Do It, you can do so for as little as $50 per month. Just visit youcandoitdoit.com slash sponsor for more information. Thank you. And back to the show. And it still brings you happiness to make it, even if it's not necessarily your dream thing to make, right? I don't have a dream thing. Ah, <laughs> so that's the secret. I don't have a dream thing, huh. which is why I don't have, I'm not like, I don't, I didn't grow up wanting to do this. Yeah. You know, right. I didn't start making videos until 2015. It's so, funny. so like, I, I don't know. And I probably won't make videos in five years. I yeah. guarantee it. Like there's, I just, there's nothing mm. about my life's history that says that this is the thing. You know, because maybe the industry will change or maybe I'll fall into irrelevancy or maybe I'll just meet the next person that's like, no, you don't know this about yourself, but I know this about you. And like, you'd be great for this. You know, being a Met school advisor was the most fulfilling thing I've ever done in my entire life. Mm. Hands down. Yeah. And that wasn't in the cards. And now I'm not doing it. Right. So (laughs) I don't know. It's a trip. (laughs) I love this. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, it's very difficult to. I'm, I, I mean, <laughs> I'm speechless because this is actually genuinely, this is genuinely wonderful. Yeah. I'm probably making it like unnecessarily complicated. I think one of the variables that's probably missing from the conversation is that one of the ways that I know that I am different from other people that I've met is that I'm, I am excited by a larger volume of things than most people. So like my appetite for stuff is pretty big. So like before we started rolling, we talked about AD converters yes. and I could talk to you about that for another three hours and that wouldn't tire me out. Yeah. Even though it has no value to my life anymore, but I still read up on every interface that's released because it's just like, I like a lot of things. But the conversation with me would though. Like you knowing about it so that we could potentially have a conversation about it is right. probably the thing that lights you up. Well, so that, that's really what it is. And yeah. so like I so I, I do like a lot of things. So that helps. Right. Mm. So like if your goal is to like, you know, not fight against the universe, it helps if like lots of things would scratch the itch. So that that that's a important caveat. But the other thing is, yeah, I mean, I generally, I generally like, I, you know, there's a lot of like tr- people that I've met that I would, I would call like pure artists, um, people that have almost like they have art inside of them. They've always had it. And most things about life are a burden in the way of the thing. They stop the art from happening. Right. And that's just not, that's just not me. That couldn't be farther from like how I would describe myself. It's because I primarily like people. I like conversation and I like being around people. I like being part of other people's art. There's a lot of joy that comes from conversation, connecting with people and and making things together. Whereas I know that some of my peers who are potentially fine artists would make their work in isolation. And if that work were never released and they knew it was never going to be released, they would keep making it. 
Whereas for me, it's the whole process of making together with people and putting it out in the world and getting feedback and making the next thing. That's why I do it. And if, if everything I made was never seen, I would stop immediately. Hmm. You know, it's not in me. It's like part of the, it's just, for me, I think it's an access point to humanity and connection. That's kind of where I find my personal growth and my development. It's not about like getting particularly exceptional at my craft. Hmm. It's like trying to be like, I've never seen myself in a leadership role in this environment. Let me try that. Or I've never seen myself in like a hyper-technical role. Like, let me try that. But it's actually always like, how do I function inside of a larger group or like a, even a scene? you know, like a music scene or an art scene or a film scene. One of the things that I know when I'm, when I'm in a group of people who are faced with like a, a new thing, a new piece of equipment that comes out or, or a new trend that comes out and people are like, oh, music is dead, you know, because now this trend has emerged or like filmmaking is dead because of this trend, like, or this new piece of technology comes out and kind of like derails the old guard. I've always, that kind of stuff has never elicited the fear muscle. So I think that that's a way that I've been able to find happiness in a lot of things. Like a lot of people encounter like technically challenging stuff and it lists like a fear reflex and so it stops being fun. Mm. And for me, I'm just like, I was given a pardon. Like I don't have to feel that thing. And so it doesn't seem like a bad, it doesn't hurt. And because of that, that's where my appetite for learning new stuff and why I would be not very precious if I learned something that was difficult and then like three years later it became irrelevant mm. and I had to learn something new again. Like that is okay. And that doesn't that doesn't seem like wasted time. Like I don't really believe in wasted time. I don't believe that anything that we do or anything we learn to do or anything we make that fails, like I, I don't see it as wasted time. This would easily get spiritual and so I will not go there, but like I firmly believe that this is the only amount of time we have. Yeah. Um, and so this, uh, that the time that you spend on things, in, including all the way down to reading forums on the internet, um, is time well spent. And it, even if it ends up being for something that you didn't need or didn't want. Mm. And that's, that's why it becomes playful for me. It doesn't feel high stakes. And that's mm. why it would be not sad to see it all go and go on to the next thing. I, I know that that might be different from other folks like my wife in particular is like you know someone she was my best friend for most of my life we, we didn't start dating until we were like seniors in college so she's a person I've been able to like bear witness to her entire life and her, she mine and like that's one of the biggest ways that I see that we are different and it's that she is like I invested myself to learn this new thing please don't change it like mm. that change and learning new stuff is gonna is gonna be work and work is not fun in that way like she enjoys being a master of the thing that she knows well. And and so I just know that like at least instead of our little family ecosystem, that's one of the ways that I'm different. And that's that's one of the ways that allows me to not be super precious. If this entire career path would just dissolve, that would be okay. The world doesn't move that fast. No, I know. <laughs> I think every vein of things has a has a next progression, but but a whole wave of something can go away. You know, I mean people are gonna continue making video and stuff, but like there could be a specialty that you have, like you're saying, like you, you could be a few years from now, a thing you've been focusing in. And it's just like, oh, that's just not a popular way of doing it right. anymore. It just totally happen. And you, but like for you, that like human instinct of, I have to hold on to this thing yes. because I survive because of it. Yeah. It's just, it's not there. And that's actually really powerful. 
I mean, it, it would be better for more people if they could be willing to like let go of that stuff, which is hard. I mean, if you invest a ton of time yeah, and you, you, then you, you're, you're an expert in that and then it's gone. What do you do? You know, but the, the advantage for you is not just the technical knowledge and the ability to learn it and approach it as a beginner and be okay with the fact that it's new to you, but it's the relationships that you have pre-established going into it. Yeah. And the ones I'm about to get. Yeah. You've spent the work and the time building relationships and community and that like trust through showing up day after day after day in your work with an excitement, with a fresh mind, with a positive attitude. And people see that and it's infectious. I, I think there's like, yeah. yeah, there's, there's different combinations of things within your personality and the way that you approach your work that like, regardless of how technology changes or things shift, you'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, I <laughs> definitely cool. think that you need to be a team player. Yeah. You need to show up for your community, you, you know, just being a person being great at their thing is so easy to steal. You just steal their thing and now they're not that thing. Mm-hmm. And then what are they? <laughs> so like being a decent person to work with and like an ally and uh social seems like the the only the only thing that can stand the test of time and all of the unknown variables that are going to come when it comes to like a, a work environment or like an art community or just a community community you can't be the cool kid you know and having the cool thing forever you just, somebody will take that from you you know, and, you know, I probably learned this from the band world, you know, it's just, you're not going to be the cool band. For, even if you are for a minute, you're not going to be forever. There has to be something else that, that holds it all together. There's also something that I wanted to share um, because I was thinking about some of the advice that I was giving some of my students. And one of the other really important things that I learned in life might be the origin of this sort of fearlessness about entering new spaces and like leaving an old space. I think that that might be due to like a very interesting age breakdown of like the community that I was friends with when I was a kid. Hmm. So I was, I lived in Coventry and Coventry at the, at the very sweet spot that I was there happened to have a lot of bands in the school. And then the neighboring towns had a lot of bands and I happened to be the youngest in that community. Hmm. So I had uh, no shortage of people that were older than me doing it better than me, who were also totally within reach. When I was in eighth grade, all of the cool bands that were playing tours all around the Northeast happened to be seniors in high school and or like 11th graders. So when I we've had this little one year overlap in high school, that mindset stayed with me my whole life about being like, I didn't, I didn't sit in my room as an eighth grader trying to sound like nirvana which would be what i was gunning for then and like trying to have nirvana level success and trying to be like i have to live in seattle and i have to get signed to a label and we have to be at a venue where like a record headhunter hears us and so spending my time working on covers or doing the things that a person who has aspirations for like the top tier but they're on the bottom tier what that type of person how they wouldn't spend their time and i didn't do that i gunned for um, people that were within reach um, and meaning that I was able to experience success pretty quickly because the goal was low. And then once you're, so I was in eighth grade and I just wanted to play a VFW hall show with, with a bunch of high school bands. Huh. That's it. That's hard for an eighth grader. That's a big yeah. goal, but it's not a stupid goal. Right. Mm. It's a very reasonable goal. Yeah. And then 
I, I was like every, and I played our first show in eighth grade and every band had albums except for us. And so in eighth grade, we recorded a 12 song full length album of original <laughs> music at a studio. We pulled at our money. Studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I needed to. That's yeah. what was, it was, the, it was the cost of admission to be in that scene. Mm. And I was like, that's a, that's a lot of work to imagine how one would do that. But it's not an, it's not a stupid amount of work. It's not an impossible amount of work. It's just a lot of work. And it's a reasonable goal for somebody who has like a lot of ambition, but not a ridiculous amount of ambition. Yeah. And we did it and we were accepted and that sort of created this whole thing. So like, so when I was a kid, I played pop punk. Mm-hmm. Now, based on the story that I tell you, I don't actually know that I was super drawn to pop punk, but it was what was available to me. That was what was being played at the time. And that's the people who were within reach for me were playing. So I didn't write Nirvana sounding songs. I wrote pop punk songs because in this community that was available to me, I wrote pop punk music. Now, I, to your point earlier, which was like, am I doing things that don't feel aligned and they don't bring me joy? I found a lot that I loved about that genre. There was plenty to love about it. And it was close enough a family member to the music I already liked. And then all of a sudden, that line even became indiscernible. And I now think of myself as a person who loved and played pop punk as a kid. And it's I don't remember adopting it from my older peers. And then I went to college and studied education. And there's a educational psychologist named Vygotsky who created this, coined this term called the zone of proximal development, which is like a developmental description of this exact thing. And so this has been my advice to like young people and later people, people who are later in life starting something new, which is like the idea that you will lose a super highly gifted student if they're not working inside of a zone that is just outside of their reach, but not so far outside of their reach that they shut down and think that they're stupid because they haven't felt a success in a really long time and not so far below the zone that they shut down and think they're too smart and they get lazy and they lose their muscles. And the same is true for a kid on any level of spectrum. So this is a way that you need to be thinking about like diversifying education to meet the needs of like a really low functioning, a middle level and a super high functioning kid is that the same exact principle exists. And I found that as a middle schooler in the band world and like Nirvana would be outside of the zone of proximal development and it would cause me to shut down because I would be 11, 12 and I wouldn't feel success potentially until I was like 24 years old. And that's too far out. No one can sustain not being given a pat on the head for that many years. You'll, you'll say, I'm not, I must not be good. And so you quit. That's been a huge reason why I've been so um, interested in like listening to whoever's within reach, like a local community, even if that's an internet community, by the way, like that can be an Instagram community, but to keep it within reach. So I don't gun for Hollywood, Netflix specials, like any of that kind of stuff. I don't even consume any of that stuff. I consume content that's shot for brands that are not brands that I have access to, but brands that I could have access to given a few successes in my career Um, and music videos and not music videos for Kanye and artists that are sort of conglomerate. But I look for like, who are the directors directing videos of bands that are outside of my reach, but I can totally get there. I can see up, I can draw a line that has like this success, this success, and maybe a half more success. And I'll be able to be in that place. I can gun for that, you know, and there's actually a chance I might make it because I'm, it's a reasonable goal, and it's, according to Vygotsky, is currently out of reach for me. But I, 
I could, I can get there. And that's sort of how I operate. And you're able to identify and trace those lines. Totally. Wow. That's a skill. (laughs) Always. I always know my people. Yeah. I always know who's ahead of me at all times. Wow. Yeah. I always know who's better than me. And I think about them all the time. (laughs) (laughs) You don't say that to kids, right? Like that you shouldn't, you should never be like the best player on your team. Just change leagues. Yeah. You know, you got to be like, there's nothing, I don't know. There's nothing better than being in a room and being like, oh man, I am not the best here. Like I'm among greatness. And it's a, it's an amazing feeling because if you're in the same room with them, you're in the room with people that you could be mm. eventually. You're not, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a cool feeling. It's a really, really cool feeling. I, I have these, like I, I'm surrounded by all these like really great film, film and photo people in Rhode Island. And like so many of them are just like, we have all these, I have a lot of people that I have these text messages with and it's just like this never ending personal things that don't make it onto Instagram, like just photos or videos, just like screenshots and stuff. And it's just each person being like, you bastard. Like, how did you make that? That's incredible. And like, and you're super happy for your friends and you're super happy that you're in a community of people that are amazing. And then you close the phone and you're like, I need to get to work. Yeah. You know? And it's a great, it's a great healthy amount of competition. It doesn't make me shut down, but it doesn't make me get lazy, which is like, I think what, what, that educational theorist is like pushing all people to do. What a way to frame competition that's actually healthy, healthy yeah. and fun. That's why people get all bent out of shape about like the participation trophies and stuff like that. That's why it's become such like a target because at its core, it's sort of like how people say like at its core, communism is, is good for all people. Mm-hmm. At its core, com- competition is the reason everything developmentally has happened in our world you know and and um it's just people um emotionalizing it that that has caused it to become problematic but inside of like you know with like emotionally healthy people and like communities that have pretty well-defined boundaries competition is what's going to drive people to be like stoked and fired up and not not necessarily all the negative things that we think about about competition and i think about every great athlete that I know who's been able to maintain it through, you know, college athletes and, and, uh, you know, and on, they always are motivated by not wanting to lose, Hmm. you know, and it doesn't mean that they're all like emotionally unhealthy people. They might have a really good relationship with that, but inside of that arena, that's how they are able to, that's how they're able to do things that are painful. It's, it's hard to work out and it's, it's hard to get up early and run and it's, and it's, it physically hurts to play a lot of sports. And so there has to be something else going on that that is keeping people doing hard work and i just happen to choose hard work that like requires me to like read technical forums you know and i'm just like ah if that allows me to make something sick then i'll read and i'll just read it until i understand that's the only reason i was a math major by the way that yeah did not come easy to me at all that is why that was a because it was a painful process every single day and i was always the dumbest person in every room so there was always someone to compete with Always, <laughs> plenty of people to compete with. Most people. I don't want to downplay it, but it seems kind of built into you to have this mindset, mm-hmm. and everything is kind of fed into that. But you also worked with students for several years, trying to give them that mindset as well. How do you foster that in other people? It feels weird to speak on behalf of them, but the feedback that they always gave me in like um, their graduation speech or like any personal letters that they'd write or like just anecdotal things that would happen was always about like like living 
the life that I talk about and the Met School in particular and Central Falls, honestly, fosters relationships with students and teachers that go well beyond the boundaries of what you normally see in schools. And so I was actually able to show them my life. Them and their families would come and see my shows when I was playing and stuff like that. So there was this like really great, there was a wall that was given permission to take down. And because of that, we were able to just run and we were able to like form the kind of relationship where you, where you don't have to talk about things. You don't have to just talk about like, Hey, I, after work every day, I go do stuff. They could actually see it and they could be part of it. And, and, um, and then eventually we could do it together so that we could actually work side by side and sort of see if I was talking about being gritty, then all of a sudden we could be trying to solve a, a technical problem together and we could literally just do it together and they could watch the grittiness. So I think that definitely maybe earned me a little bit of credibility. So I wasn't always just telling them how they should be. And then the other piece, which is probably the one that goes a lot further, is authenticity, both in the way that I speak about myself um, and about the way that I felt about them both. You know, like a lot of a lot of students across my tenure did things, wanted to do things, or like lived lives that were so unfamiliar to me. Like just out in left field things that are just so far beyond my experience. And I brought into all of those conversations like a genuine belief that like if they're excited about this thing, then I'm missing something. If I'm feeling anything that is negative about it or if I'm feeling anything that's like dismissive about it, I must I must be wrong. And so like I had a genuine curiosity when people spoke to me about like what is their life? You know, so that's I was a I was raised in a rural white life. And my first job was with like high school aged kids from Central Falls. And I just kind of showed up. I didn't like posture to be like cool guy teacher or not cool guy. I just was very authentic. And if a question came up, I answered everything honestly. And I just listened to people when they spoke. And I really early on, and that's why I fell in love with education. When you bear witness to kids' lives and you like listen to them and from the, their quirky desires to like their traumas and you just like listen to them and not only listen, but you believe everything they say. Um, as like valid and legitimate, that forms a relationship that three years later, if I say, hey, I think the reason you're not great at painting is because you're not working hard enough. You're simply not working every day the way that you need to be. We have this history that says like, we don't bullshit and this person cares about me. And so if they say something to me, there's a reason they said it and it's worth considering. And so in general, they would just step up and work harder. And so like if I t said something and then, and reciprocally, if they said something to me, I observe in you that you're talking a lot about this, but not doing it, mm -hmm. it hurt. Yeah. And then I would go home and work. And so there was, um, it's a rapport that is not established through like classroom norms that are written on the side of a wall somewhere. It's right. like that long game in the trenches, like how you look at a person, how you speak to them over the arc of your relationship with them that earns the credibility to be like, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you some difficult feedback right now. Mm. And I need you to hear it as a, from a place of love and yeah. a place of like legitimate artist to artist revision, like critique. And it worked. And I also received feedback that was like brutal. Well, I mean, they told you to quit your job. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like you're not good at it. Let's yeah. get out of here. Yeah. What's the hardest feedback you got? Oh man. 
I was given feedback in informal and formal ways from my students that I was a mess. That's really the problem. It wasn't so much that like my songwriting was uninspired. My strongest students, the kids that were just so put together, finally revealed at a certain point in our four years of this like crazy little family mm. that they were like protecting me from bullshit. Wow. Because they're like, oh, he'll just crumble. Yeah, wow. yeah. Wow. From students. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Or can yeah. you can you share it all? Or Yeah, I mean, I just think that like... um the 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 role and the emotional so, so the other thing that is important to know is there's a lot of trauma kids that like come to a school like that are leaving another school there's usually a reason that caused them to like up uproot their life leave their district all that kind of stuff um and it's just it's like a, such an intensely taxing part of my life um and it like invaded every part of my personal life and my relationship and my relationships and like everything else kind of like paused for four years while i did that and so there was just I, a person like me. There was people there that were super high functioning and they actually could compartmentalize and do mm. the job well and then be a person really well. Okay. And like, I just couldn't do it. Yeah. I was all in. Yeah. I think the best parts of the work and the reason <laughs> the relationships worked for me is also because I sacrificed a lot of other, like what, what should have been healthier choices. Um, and like, I was around students that could like identify that and just be like, hey, you're going to like, you're, you're over capacity or like, you're going to start like, dropping the ball on people in your life and that kind of stuff. So we had that kind of relationship. Yeah. It was crazy. That's amazing to be able to receive that. from. I, a, really, a really simple story is that we had, um, we had experienced like a really, really bad trauma in my group of 16. Mm. Um, and one of my st- seniors reached out to my boss, the school principal, and requested that I get a personal day. Wow. And he is a photographer. He's an amazing photographer. And he... And his mentor, because they have internships, yeah. he reached out to my principal and said that he wanted to take me on like a photo shoot. So we would just like climb an abandoned. He's like, and I'm also going to take him to like sketchy spots <laughs> where I shoot with my friends. Uh, yeah. And he took me and he took his mentor. And the three of us like climbed into an abandoned factory in like the middle of the winter and spent an entire day taking photos. And like, my administration knew that I was taking a mental health day per the request of my student who was like, okay, he has like held this group for like three weeks yeah, and like held the ship. And now like we're settled and like he's, he needs a day off and like, I will curate a day off for him. Jeez. So like the relationship wow. is nothing like what you know of schools. Oh there's almost gosh. nothing. There's no semblance of what you picture as a high school. No. There's almost nothing of it. Um, and I'm not sure if I represent the Met. You know, I don't know that every, because it's so private. I don't know what went on in the other groups hmm. and how much more they were able to simulate traditional high school. Hmm. But in our particular group, in our particular makeup of me and them at that point in our lives, yeah, it was wild. It was a family. Wow. It's incredible. It's a special kid. Yeah. Or yeah. now, but yeah. 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 It's one of the most meaningful things I've ever experienced. That's unbelievable. My gosh. I love, I love that we've pretty much not talked about the work. Yeah. Well, I think that's what I was going to say about that response, which is like, I believe that life, you limit opportunities for profound surprises if you're damagingly goal-oriented. If you have very, very strict goals about the types of people that you will relate to, types of people that you could be friends with, the types of communities that you could be accepted into, and then later the types of things you could do professionally. If you have like unwavering vision 
you will just blow people and opportunities out of the water as you pass them because you have such a clear filtering system that says, nope, that's not it. And nope, that's not it. And what that means is that you might have a life that's like significantly less existential and like wrought with crisis, but you potentially are missing out on all of the amazing things that happen to people when they're in the trenches of like a difficult thing, which is where many people will describe like their best living happened. That's why people are friends with their soldier friends for the rest of their lives. Cause like, that's not like anything else. And I'll never bond with someone like that. That's why people are friends with their college and high school friends. It's a very difficult and time in life when it's wrought with existential crisis and the people that were with you during that and like watched you go through that. Um, yeah. Having, um, a slightly uh, a more trust fall into your life kind of thing has opened up doors that I could have never curated for myself because any logical and goal-oriented person would have like looked at the makeup of a role like being the Met Advisor and a personality like the one I have and be like, it's just not a good fit. It's going to be difficult and it's going to cross boundaries in your life and the cost will be too high for the gain and you shouldn't do it. That would be a very pragmatic description of how that did play out, you know? So that's that's something that has made me not feel super motivated to change this way of living mm -hmm. because I'm very happy that that happened to me. I'm very happy that I had uh, an amazing partner and amazing students who were like, hey, and you should also stop and try the next thing. I'm glad that I had people that said it's time to jump off and jump into the new thing, but I would be very sad to imagine a life where that wasn't one of the formative chapters during like my twenties. Is there anything we haven't touched on that we should anything you're like, Oh man, if we don't talk about this, I'm going to have regrets when I'm driving home. Part of the rich fair experience is always having regrets when you're driving. home. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if it was going to be that or the opposite of, <laughs> no, I, no, no, it's yeah. great. I'm glad that you guys do this. This Thanks. is really awesome. One of the things that I, um, that I saw um, through working in like all these super emotional spaces over my life is like opportunities for people to like um, say in a public forum how they feel about other people um, and like how incredibly transformative that is. And so like I want to say to you guys like I, I posted this on Instagram, but like I think creating a space in your life and like a nice polished package that um, allows people to speak their mind and like by being associated with a podcast, you like elevate their legitimacy and um, it, that's how community is built. And so often we discover that when you just, when you think of like a really cool scene or like a really cool thing, it's actually only a handful of people that hold the whole thing up. And then we, we describe, Hey, like that street is super hip. And you realize it's actually only like two businesses and their owners that actually created that. And so kudos to the two of you for having like the wherewithal to create an internet community that props up people and awesome. I'm very honored to be one of them. Well, thank you for coming on. We really yeah, appreciate thank having you. So much. You. Yeah. Thanks again for listening to you can do it, do it. If you want to learn more about what rich is up to, you can visit, you can do it, do it.com night swim provided the theme music for this show. It's called Fiji. It's a great song and you can find it on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you get great music. If you'd like to support the show, as always, you can visit, you can do it to it.com slash sponsor. Thanks again so much for listening. 
If you know someone who's taking some time off work who would benefit from listening to a lot of episodes of the show so they can get in the mood for the new year and get inspired, definitely let them know about us. We're looking forward to doing a lot more neat things in the new year and uh, sharing those with you. So we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. And in a couple weeks, we've got a new episode coming out. So thanks so much. Bye.